So as we continue looking ahead to the upcoming ACC football season at, appropriately enough, the ACC football kickoff in Charlotte, a man who has a common bond with me here in the fast lane. No, <laughs> not because of our accomplishments. He has many more than I do. Play-by-play -play voice for the Atlanta Falcons in the National Football League. Also, you've known him for quite a while, including play-by-play -play for the ACC Network, football right. and basketball. But for the sake of our chat, to start things off at least with Wes Durham here in the fast lane, a father of twins you as got well. It. You're a little bit further along I'm though than I am. Way further along. I've uh, let's see, I've salted away college. I mean, all I can tell you is it's going to be more expensive for you than it was for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that's not what I want to hear. Um, and now next April, uh, the first of my twins, my son's going to get married. So yeah, I'm. Uh, look, your boys are five. Five, yes, right? sir. Oh man, that's the best. Um, you're going to see more Little League games than you could have ever imagined, right? Uh, more bad recreational basketball than you've ever imagined. Uh, you won't see a completed pass in a Pop Warner football game for years. But outside of that, it's the best. Um, yeah, I'm, I feel very blessed. Uh, my kids are both grown, got out of college. My daughter lives in D.C. Um, she works five blocks from, four blocks from the Capitol. She works for a political consulting firm and lobbyist group. Uh, which is makes for interesting conversations when her father uh, does college athletics and pro sports for a living, right? And then all of a sudden <laughs> in May, everybody, those worlds collide, right? When Congress and all of a yes, sudden you have yes. these hearings. So that's one side of the house. My son just finished. He worked the last two years in grad school at Clemson for Brad Brownell and the Clemson basketball program yes, and has just taken a job in Atlanta uh, in college athletics, so to speak. It's the new world of college athletics. My son has actually gone to work for the collective at Georgia Tech, oh, wow. which is really interesting. So, you know, here we are, new world, and you'll get there one day. But they're awesome to, to watch grow up and mature and become responsible adults. At least that's what we hope, right? That, that is the hope and prayer that I have. Just good, solid citizens, good people. That's it. We'll feel good at night yep. about that. Wes Durham with us here in the fast lane. You mentioned your kids. You have twins, obviously. One of them in the collective side. The other on Capitol Hill working right. for a lobbyist group. Believe it or not, which one, this is a legitimate question, which one has more experience with the direction college athletics is going? Believe it or not, my daughter. Because my daughter has been on, she's worked for this firm for almost three years now, uh, three and a half if you count her internship. Uh, Ed, and she has been telling me all along about just the way the federal government works, the way the Senate, the way Congress works, the way the House of Representatives works. You know, I, I'm not sure that I ever thought college athletics should get this far, but the abdication of leadership the NCAA showed in the last five years has put us there. So at the end of the day, we're kind of forced to now have our hope that we get some sort of federal intervention in this to calm this down because I don't think Lane Kiffin was too far off last week when he talked about it being a disaster. We don't have a way to stop this because we don't have any rules in place. There are no guardrails. And the scary part is the commissioner talked about today, we have this one track with name, image, and likeness where we have four states that have signed basically laws saying that the NCAA cannot cap whatever happens from an NIL perspective in those states. And we also have an influence out in California on the West Coast where there's a 
suit based on national labor relations calling for employee-employer status for college athletics. Well, that opens the door, and I'm not smart enough for this conversation. That opens up a door <laughs> about taxation and all sorts of other things that none of us ever thought would walk itself into the circle, right? So we have to be really careful, but as, as fans and people who are so excited about football season starting and the great games we're going to have and the teams that are talented and we're looking forward to seeing kind of who can go where, right? We have to make sure that we also are at least somewhat educated on the implications of what's going on off the field. And we have a lot of fun whiteboarding about conference realignment and all that stuff. But in reality, at the end of the day, I'm not sure we don't need to pay a little bit more attention to this right here, too. You mentioned that point. You used, <laughs> we have, there are certain dirty four-letter words that we don't get to use in live radio. Hope is not one of those, but we always joke about how it's the dirty four-letter word. Is that where we are right now, where it's just hoping Congress gets involved? Or do you see a path where with Jim Phillips, the ACC commissioner, kicking off the ACC kickoff right. touching on it, or Charlie Maker, the president, talking about it, or is that about as far as it's realistically going to go? Well, think about it. I mean, Greg Sankey said last week in Birmingham, you know, we, we need to hope that Congress can help us, right? Okay. I mean, that's, that's arguably one of the most powerful guys in all of college athletics in any way, shape, or form. I think the five commissioners of the Power Five conferences, Ed, are all in alignment with that part. I think they know they need help, and we can't rely on individual states at this point. I think we have to have collaborative thinking go together on this. And if we don't, we might be in real trouble. So I think that's a big part of it. Second part of it that I do believe is important is I think we have to have stability in our alignment. And I think we have to have some structural leadership from somebody. Charlie Baker is a political person. He was governor of Massachusetts, obviously. Um, he was hired to be that guy. He was hired to be a political guy to help stem this tide. But we got to get college athletics back in alignment, man. We've, we've kind of lost our way on some of this. And, um, you know, free enterprise has kind of taken over here without a salary cap or collective bargaining agreement or something like that. So we got to really be careful, I think, or else, you know, we're, we're going to kind of uh, put the cart way out in front of the horse. Not to spell total gloom and doom, but does a lot of this fall back on? We're chatting with Wes Durham, ACC Network broadcaster and obviously he's got familiar with the program because he sure. calls the Atlanta Falcons games and that's all collectively bargained so it's just yeah that's it's a, a different, different deal it's a different world you don't like what you're getting as a player talk to your union I mean, right it seems that simple whereas in college nothing is ever really that simple as a lot of it because nobody seemed to want to step up and see that this was trending in this direction oh or sure is it just is it is it so complex nobody could have, or is it partially that we saw it was trending in this direction, but nobody wanted to actually put themselves out there to try to do something? I think what you have to see is, I think, the NCAA. Now, remember, NIL comes about because of the activity in certain states, right? Um, the NCAA didn't want to touch NIL. They turned their back on it. Um, they enacted the transfer portal without really an understanding of what they were doing. Same time they enacted the transfer portal, they also handed out these coupons for COVID eligibility coupons. I call them Mark Emmert's COVID coupons. <laughs> and so they handed those out. Then they created NIL. They allowed NIL to go. California first, Florida jumped in right behind it. And then all of a sudden it just caught fire, right? And that's kind of why I brought up the, the law that's been signed, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Texas, and uh, what, 10 days ago, New York, 12 days ago, New York signs this NIL open window, essentially, where the NCAA can't stop 
uh, a student athlete participating in the state of New York, hypothetically, from maximizing his value. I blame Mark Emmer. I'm, I'm pretty candid about that. I think Mark Emmer turned his back at a time when we needed leadership. Uh, I think he did it because the pandemic was going on. There were other heated issues in our country and in our society. Mark Emmert wanted to create freedom of movement for student athletes, wanted to give students every opportunity to be successful. Well, if that meant they could make money, then just go on and make the money. Well, what about some kind of guardrail? Coaches were the first to voice displeasure in that because they knew what the consequences might be. We're seeing the consequences. When the commissioner talked today about, you know, we've got some surly people involved in this who are trying to force kids to make difficult decisions or poor decisions. I mean, that's just the NIL thing. The transfer portal, I mean, Ed, you follow basketball. You talk about football, especially at the collegiate level. Look at the number of kids that went into the portal in Division I basketball who didn't find a home in the portal. Those kids are walking off on an education. And by the way, when's the last time we worried about somebody's education in this whole process? Oh, by the way, they're three years in school at Virginia and they're transferring. They're three years in school at James Madison and they're transferring. Well, where are they going to finish? Um, you know, the complications of this are, are varied. We've got to get a little more stable about what we're doing. I think the sport will be better off. The models will be better off. But, and I'm not the guy that says they shouldn't make anything. I Look, I'm all about fair value here. But what we can't have is and I think it will check itself at some point. What we can't have is this wild, rampant, wild, wild west because that's what the coaches said would happen, and they have nailed it, absolutely nailed it. Well, if nobody's there to enforce it, what's to stop programs well, from poaching kids off a roster? I mean, the, it may be illegal, but nobody's enforcing and it. And when's the last time the NCAA won an argument, <laughs> yeah. right? They didn't nine win. nothing. They got shut out. At Supreme Court, lost a home road, lost a road game 9 nothing in D.C. But the reality of that part is, too, even look at the Tennessee sanctions. Tennessee gets fined millions of dollars. They lose scholarships, all that, but they still get to go to a bowl. Why is that? Because the NCAA knew if they impo imposed a bowl bid, they get sued. There you go. So there's Great. not that. There's no. The point of the, we say this with our kids all the time. I don't know if you ever use this line with yours. When they don't like the punishment, the point of the punishment is to commit, prevent you from committing the action. Basically. That's it. Yeah. And if there's, the punishment is not stern enough to, to stop you, what's the point of the punishment? Right. And remember that we were always, we weren't supposed to have, you know, like nefarious activities involved in NIL. We weren't supposed to have, you had to do something for the money. I mean, even that's coming to question at this point. But who's penalizing somebody for that? Nobody. That's not going to happen. Who's, how's the NCAA going to prove that? They haven't proved the simplest of tactics at this point. So, yeah, I, I think we've, we got to get to the games, but you need to be mindful of this for sure. Westerham with us here in the fast lane. Atlanta Falcons broadcaster, ACC Network, football and basketball broadcaster, but for the sake of where we are in the calendar in the middle of summer, we're touching on much more football than basketball as Wes is uh, diligently working on planning his wedding. He's way ahead. <laughs> no, his, my son is working wedding. diligently on planning it, yeah. He is working or he is working on behalf of his future spouse to plan that wedding. Yeah. I've known how that uh, game gets played regularly, um, as I'm sure you have. You're part mm. of the Honeydew Club as well. That's right. Um, but, no, shifting to football itself, the ACC, is it Clemson and Florida State on the field and then everyone else after them in football? Well, it's Clemson, Florida State for me, one two and then the question at three is what I've got to come away with some resolve here after the next couple days I, look I'm all in on I think Pitt deserves the respect because of what they've done the last few years uh, NC State certainly does Carolina does Wake Forest does 
I, I was as impressed as anybody with what Mike Elko did last year winning nine games. But I want to see it kind of develop, right? I want to see the way this kind of functions. And, um, but I don't know who I'm picking third. But what I do know is this will be a really good year for the ACC to have some impactful November football games, not just in the conference but nationally. And we're going to need more than two teams to get that. Because no matter what happens with Florida State and Clemson in late September, they could meet again in early December. But if there's a third team that emerges and you know whoever loses that game in September still just has the one loss, that creates a third team. So, you know, some have talked about Louisville. Jeff Brom, such a terrific coach, done it a bunch of places, and now has a schedule his first year that doesn't have Clemson, doesn't have Florida State, doesn't have Carolina. And you can see a path for a lot of these schools uh, that I just talked about. But, I, Ed, on the whole, I don't know who's going to be third. I, I, I was really kind of hoping to start generating some answers today. Um, I've listened to a little bit of Louisville, tried to pick up on that, tried to kind of see a way, but I don't know. We'll see. That's the beauty of where this league is, and I think that makes all those games in the first four weeks especially really important. People have been waiting for, I mean, heck, Florida State could fit this in recent years, but pretty much everywhere else to live up to the billing is sure. probably the right way to yeah. describe it, as West Durham is with us here in the fast lane on the Virginia Talk Radio Network. He's from the ACC Network, and of course you've seen him calling football and basketball games. It'll be part of the primetime coverage again this coming year for the ACC Network. The uh, reality is nobody has done that right now. Do you have a better feel for either the stability of the program, the right quarterback, coach combination, of an ingredient or the right ingredients to put it together to live up to those expectations. I think Jordan Travis and uh, I think Jordan Travis and Mike Norvell have got a good thing going. I really do. I think that's a spectacular situation in Tallahassee. Um, he is a big time playmaker. I think Chip Lindsey and Drake may have that combination, potential combination. Um, look, Warren Najera at Wake Forest deserves a lot of credit for what he's done for four different quarterbacks there with Dave Clawson. And I'm not going to be terribly surprised if Mitch Griffiths comes out here slinging it at Wake Forest. Um, but I think Brennan Armstrong, Robert Anai, and Dave Dorn are somebody to keep an eye on. And I think NC State brings back more people defensively. They're just not starters than people realize. And they, too, have kind of one of those schedules that you can look at and see a path. So it's going to be interesting. I, I, I don't know that I love one above the other, but I'm a huge Travis fan because he's a playmaker. And also because he's done it. This is his fifth year. He didn't play till late in 19. And he started, you know, 20, 21, 22, and now gets the COVID bonus year, 23. And I, I think Travis is a guy who finished at a pretty high level a year ago. And look at the guys around him. I mean, skilled guys around him. And Keon Coleman transfers in from Michigan State. You know, Johnny Wilson's a real deal. Jaheim Bell from Florida State, I mean, from South Carolina transfers two running backs that we know of. You know Florida State's going to have a third or a fourth. So how does that work? How does that look? I, Florida State is a team, if they were a little deeper in across the board, I'd be willing to maybe consider putting them first. I think Clemson's a deeper team. That's why I'm – and Clemson's been there a decade. So those are the reasons to take Clemson. Garrett Riley, necessary for Clemson to make that change? I think so. Yeah, I, I think because we'd had two years of just kind of subpar football and something was happening that I wasn't sure was good for anybody there. Um, I feel bad for Uyunglele's terrific kid, right? But at the same time, too, I think there's just some, some real traps there. But 
Here's the other thing you got to remember. Clemson lives in that neighborhood, man. They've been living in that neighborhood, in that big house for a decade. So you lose two games and the sky's falling, that's a scary deal, isn't it? There's tentacles to that as West Durham is with us in the fast lane. And you're familiar with it from Clemson, but also the Virginia program and where they are with Tony Elliott. Yeah. There's a lot of unrest in it, and nobody's taking away from how Elliott, perfect guy to handle the tragedy on grounds last year. And there's no doubt No question, that. right. But there's a football side to it, though. They struggled last year, and then you lose Brennan Armstrong and a number of other players transfer, including a lot on defense. What's your overview of what – Tony Elliott's got going right now? I, I agree with what you just said. Number one, he I know he's a good hire when Carla hired him as the as the football coach. I like Tony. Nobody has a book. There's no guide to what Virginia's going through, right? Uh, the emotional tears, the mental scars, all those things. The physical scars, quite frankly. Um, but I do believe he's doing it the right way. And I, my biggest concern at Virginia will be the concern I had a year ago. How good are they going to be in the offensive line? And, you know, if it's Tony Musket, you know, trying to be that guy quarterback, um, you know, what do they look like offensively? I know Kobe Pace transferred in, which is a huge get because he's a proven back. But the reality is scary, Ed. I mean, it, it could be a long year for Virginia, but it could be a long year on the field or on a scoreboard, but a very productive year in terms of what he's ultimately building. Meanwhile, for Virginia Tech, there's yeah. a lot of hype uh, around them now because they're starting to take – recruiting ratings for what they're worth. They upgraded with a lot of talent. Sure. However, like every college football program, it seems the offensive line's a major question mark. Mm -hmm. Quarterback's a concern right now for them. Are, are we in a spot where there may be a good future for Brent Pride, but maybe hold your expectations if you're a Hokie fan well, this year? Let me, let me ask you this. We all thought that when you hired Justin Fuente, at Virginia Tech following Frank Beamer that that was going to be the way this whole thing would bounce back, right? So when it doesn't go well, okay, what do you then have to do? You, the number one thing you have to acquire is patience. I'll be, there, I'll be there on opening night for Old Dominion. I'm looking forward to seeing if it's Wells, Drones, how it works out. Can I get Malachi Thomas healthy? That would help, right? I know you got guys defensively that are going to make plays. But let's, let's see if we can have some patience. Beat Old Dominion. Don't get this thing week to week. Seriously. <laughs> That's not easy to I mean, no, but get Virginia it. Tech, it's but simple. I understand. But take it week to week. It, it's weird to say this. Brent Key said today, you know, we need to get better every day. There is no long-term expectation in 2023 for Georgia Tech. And Brent Key has adopted get better every day. And for me, I think the scenario that plays out there is, if you get better every day at Blacksburg, it'll take care of itself. Don't get caught up in the long-term expectation right now. Work on the simplistic first to second base, second base to third base stuff. I, in fact, I think that's going to be part of what he says here, will be that they're working on day-to-day -day habits as opposed to just one big singular statement about where they're going. Wes Durham with us in the fast lane. Wes, thank you very much for your time. It's always a pleasure for Same us here, when Ed. we're able to catch up. Yep. Hopefully we'll be able to do it again before that wedding approaches. Oh, next yeah. April. We better before next April. At least I'll let's see how much money I got left, right? <laughs> uh, it's not apparent. They say it's not cheap. I remember our wedding a few years ago. It still isn't cheap. There you go. Yeah, good to see you. Always a pleasure. Wes Durham with us here in the fast lane. Of course, you know how to find us. Fast lane, Ed Lane, where you listen to podcasts 
and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram to keep up with all of our coverage from the ACC football kickoff and plenty more of that still to come over the next couple of days on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app and across the Virginia Talk Radio Network.